Uh, I have a simple message today uh, from Colossians chapter 3, where we're starting our study in Colossians. And a pastor was preaching through uh, Colossians up until right around Thanksgiving, basically. And uh, uh, so today we return to Colossians in chapter 3. And um, th this passage of scripture that we're going to look at here is very much uh, obedience-focused, uh, what we do in response to who we are. And it always starts that way, folks, that uh, we receive Christ. He changes us, and as a result of that, we obey. It's the inside-out experience here. So, we're going to, uh, this morning, I hope to restart our study in Colossians, study obedience as a fruit, I'll give you just a really quick uh, recap of the content of the previous uh, passages in Colossians. Uh, we're going to look specifically at points of obedience, um, all in less than 90 minutes. So I think we can do that pretty easily here. So, um, uh, first of all, uh, Paul was writing to uh, believers in Colossae, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is a city in south-central Turkey on the Lysus River. Uh, the church was founded about 51 A.D. by Epaphras, one of uh, Paul's uh, church-planting partners. Epaphras had heard the gospel um, in Ephesus and then traveled to Colossae, preached and founded a church. Um, the book was written about 61 A.D. So the time frame here is the church gets founded about um, <clears throat> 51 Epaphras then travels, preaches, starts a church, and then at 61, uh, Paul is writing to the, the members of that church, a place he had never been to before, which is kind of interesting, too, that uh, he had never been there uh, personally. So you can see the rapid spread of the gospel uh, and the obedience of Epaphras and, and some of the time frame here. Now, uh, to quickly look at what we studied earlier in Colossians. Chapter 1, uh, Paul twice says that he's been praying for these people as believers. Uh, he gives clear, powerful statements about the nature of Jesus, that he is supreme. He's head of the church, and he is the reconciler. Paul states his goal is to present everyone perfect in Christ. He mentions the second goal in chapter 2, that they be united in love, be established in Christ. And another very important, powerful statement about Jesus, that uh, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He gives some specific warnings. Don't be taken captive by deceptive philosophy. Avoid asceticism, this, this exaggerated self-discipline of the body, asceticism. He points out that these kind of regulations have no value in restraining sensual indulgence. Then in chapter 3, he urges people, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put on the new self, renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. In Christ, there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. Every, every distinction that we tend to kind of latch on to and 
ascribe status to and put people in pigeonholes and rank them at greater or lesser. It's not there, not in Christ. There's none of that in Christ. So uh, obedience is a fruit. Now, a fruit grows on trees, and you pick it and eat it. You know, it's kind of the, the end product. So we're hoping to uh, see obedience from, from that point of view. We'll also consider specific steps and behaviors that involve obedience. But uh, our, our, the lens, the, the, the focus point here is that obedience is a fruit. Now, our, our focus scripture here is Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, at the beginning of this passage, Paul is speaking to people who are God's chosen people. He makes it very clear throughout the book of Colossians that his target is believers. He opens by addressing the people who are God's holy and faithful, that the people are holy and faithful brothers in Christ. He refers to those who have been raised with Christ and as God's chosen people. So the very first thing we need to address here in obedience is how do you become a believer? How is it that you're in Christ? <clears throat> in John 1.12, it says, Yet, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Christianity just doesn't happen. You're not born a Christian. You become a believer. Now, who is it that's become? Yet, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Belief in his name. Peter further expands on this. and He says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. We need to be brought to God through Christ. We are the unrighteous. Jesus was the righteous one. As of the righteous one, he was put to death. It's a substitutional death. It's the death that we deserve to pay. Uh, the, the sentence of condemnation that rests on us because of sin has been shifted to Christ. He is the righteous, yet he took on our unrighteousness. It's the miracle of substitutional atonement that we are in Christ because of this atoning sacrifice. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh, 
but made alive in the Spirit. Those are the people that are in Christ, and those are the people that Paul is writing to here, the believers in Colossae. So if that's your foundation of, of being in Christ, having the life of Jesus in you, having his atoning sacrifice count for your sins, then this is for you. So obedience, indeed, is a fruit. Now, fruit grows on trees, so that, that begs the question, so what kind of tree does this fruit grow on? Or, or how do you cultivate the tree to obtain that fruit? Um, in our small group, uh, we were hosted by uh, Tony and Sue, and uh, they served us pear pie. And it turned out the pears had been growing on, on a tree in their backyard. How about that? So <clears throat> this is a producing pear tree. Now, what if Tony went out there and looked at the tree and said, produce, get with it. Is that likely to uh, grow pears? Of course not. That's, that's not a good strategy when it, when it comes to growing fruit. You know? So there's something more than just the command that bears fruit. You don't really do that, do you? <laughs> good deal. <laughs> um, didn't ask you about that. I'm sorry. No one would ever do that. You, you wouldn't go out there and command your grass to grow. I mean, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. And we, don't, we don't even think that is a possibility. But here are commands of Scripture. Do we come into obedience just by, you know, just by just doing it? You know, is it is, is there more to it than that? Obviously. In fact, uh, for Tony's pear tree and Sue's pear tree to be productive, it has to be uh, planted in the proper soil. It has to have enough water. It has to have proper sunlight. It couldn't be uh, <clears throat> canopied over by other trees. It, would need to be protected from disease and from insects. Uh, the bees would have to come and pollinate the blossoms. Uh, the birds would be, have to be kept from, from stealing the fruit. There's all kinds of things that come into fruit production. And I'm seeing here today that, that obedience is a fruit. So we need to think about what, what are the conditions that, that, that produce fruit, that produce obedience here. And I believe that uh, obedience is a fruit. Now that's not always the message you get from the culture, from the world. Uh, what is, uh, who can tell me the Nike forever phrase? Well, what do they say? Just do it, okay. Uh, Barbara Bush and others uh, uh, had an anti-drug campaign and it was just say no. Is that likely to work? Can you just do it? Well, you might start that way. Many people today are starting with a whole batch of New Year's resolutions. I'll just do this thing, you know. Uh, what's, what's the average uh, life, lifespan of a New Year's resolution? <laughs> Week and a half, maybe. <laughs> I didn't, um, <clears throat> I've made them and don't keep most of them. Um, it's much more than just do it. It's much more than just don't just say no. That, that, that's not the formula for obedience here. The scripture does, doesn't, um, and you could think of all kinds of examples about bare willpower, just bare decision-making, unsupported by a, a, a healthy tree, the results are very, very predictable. Uh, it never works the probation. We have uh, 
uh, almost half of the people on probation are involved in substance abuse of one form or the other. And they can come in and sit across the desk and I said, now stop it. Just no effect. In fact, I'm not the first person that's been telling these people to stop. They've been told to stop by parents and teachers and cops and probation officers and counselors. I'm just person number 642. No effect. But when their lives begin to change, then their behavior begins to change. If, if you're familiar at all with recovery programs, which work pretty well, you have to just about take your life apart and put it back together differently. That's what it takes, especially if it's addiction, which really gets a hold of you. It doesn't work. So, now here's the Jesus uh, point of view about obedience. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So this abiding business, and he uses a, a horticultural metaphor here, vine and branches, a connection that's abiding. And if you've grown anything, abiding is an all-the-time activity. Well, if you snip that branch off and try to stick it back in, you've got trouble. Now that's, if you get separated from the vine, you've got big trouble. So this, uh, Jesus claims that bearing fruit is a result of abiding because, apart from me, you can do nothing. So, uh, let's think about obedience as a fruit. So how much do you have to abide? Or, well, what is the measurement here, or, or is there a measurement? Now, don't take this metaphor too far, metaphor too far. Don't say, well, I really can't get involved in this because I haven't uh, had the right quality of quiet time, or I haven't uh, memorized enough verses, or I don't have enough uh, formal education, or my, uh, I'm just not feeling it today. You, you can take this thing too far and say, I haven't reached the perfect point of fellowship with God before I'm ready to obey. And that's not the thing either. We depend on Christ, we stay connected to him, we abide with him, and it's an inside-out experience. But don't measure it in terms of performance or get your spiritual yardstick out and give yourself an excuse for not obeying. Don't push it to that part. There is a point where having had that relationship with Christ and abiding in him, that he will prompt you. He will prompt you. And that's the time to obey. Not after you've meditated on it and thought about it, when God speaks, when you get the prompting, do it. And sometimes God doesn't give you advance warning. Sometimes it's, it's just now. Um, I was in a sales meeting um, for a health product a couple weeks ago. And it's, it was sold on the plan that's used to sell uh, timeshares at vacation places. You get this wonderful invitation, you go to the restaurant and hear the the sales pitch and a free dinner. Food was good. Then they invite you to the sales office and they give you a pitch all over again in a smaller group. And then they take you individually into the little room 
and they say, are you committed? Or here it is, you know. <laughs> and um, it's actually a profitable way to, to do business, get new clients. But in, in, in this, this health product, the key thing is they want you to say that health is the most important thing. Because that's the hook. That's the motivation to buy the product. You know, you've got to believe, and they actually say this, you've got to believe that health is the number one thing. Without health, what can you do? You know, it's, it's a pretty good argument. So I'm sitting in this meeting, and um, another potential customer is there, and he gets to the point, and he says, what's most important? This person says, God! Oh, that was not, not the right answer here, you know. Well, what happened, for heaven's sakes? Uh, here's a person who's abiding. They're with it. They're receiving the life of Christ. And so, obviously, the most important thing in your life is God. You don't have to think about that. You don't have to go, oh, let me check my Bible. Uh, where's the reference about this? Oh, dear. No. If the life of Christ is in you, God is obviously the most important thing. You don't have to think about that. And that's what came right out of this person's mouth. Now, the salesman was terrific and just not, didn't flinch, you know. We're ready for that one, too. You know. Good salesmen are ready. But that's the point, you know. You, God will prompt you, and, and that is the moment, and, and do it. Now, it might be identifying with Christ or an act of kindness, but there is a point that don't let this metaphor give you an excuse for not obeying. Now, the specifics here. I'm hoping that you have a, a bulletin and something to write with here because um, with the foundation of obedience, we need to take action. So... Um, the, the, our passage here has a number of do's and a number of don'ts. And, and this is kind of where the rubber meets the road here. So being intentional is essential. Uh, from our text, Epaphras heard the gospel from Paul in Ephesus. Then he goes to Colossae, and he obeys. He preaches. He starts a church they're growing, and then Paul writes in support of that ministry. That's amazing. Wow, how about that? You know, that's fruit. He, he started and planted a whole church in a pagan place. You know, there was, it's not like, uh, I'll come along and assist an existing church. From scratch, preaching the gospel, conversions, a church. You know, what a great example here. So intentionality is important. I'm hoping that you will hear just without a lot of uh, contemplation or without a lot of self-examination here, uh, do two things for me. Put a circle in the do column about what has been happening. Now, give yourself, <laughs> acknowledge what God's been doing in your life. Can you put a circle about, up around one positive in 2016 <laughs> where you have seen God work in your life? Can you just put a little circle and give thanks for that? You know, God is working in our lives. It might be, in some measure, you put on the new self. You've shown compassion to one person in some circumstance. 
a kindness. Has God addressed humility in your life? Have you had a chance to be gentle or patient or loving? You know, uh, let, let's, part of obedience is, is enjoying the fruit of what God does in your life. A circle. Can you put a square around something you would like to put to death, that you'd like to extinguish in your life? Sexual immorality, lust, greed, rage, slander, impurity, evil desire, anger, malice, filthy language. Put a square. Now, don't put on someone else's list. Do it on your own, okay? Um, A square. Be intentional. Uh, Think about the the person at the sales pitch. You didn't have, you know, the prompt, uh, the statement, or epiphus, going. And you can think of all kinds of examples in Scripture about how how this happened. Jesus, uh, in the community where he had been living for a long time, so he was probably at least vaguely acquainted with the people he spoke to, approached people and said, follow me. They dropped what they were doing, and they went. There are times when God prompts us and triggers us. That's the moment. And I think if you're at all spiritually sensitive, you know exactly what's going on. It's not muddled and vague and mysterious and outer space-ish. It's obvious and clear and specific. Or uh, Abraham, he's living pretty comfortably in Ur. He, was a, he became a very wealthy man in the promised land, so he was probably pretty wealthy in Ur too and pretty comfortable. God told him, go to a far country. I'll tell you about it later. To a place I will show you. Out the door, he left. That's amazing. So there are times... I think frequently, if you're sensitive, intentional, if you intend to obey, that God will trigger you. We we talked about Epaphras, uh, hearing the gospel, receiving new life, and going to Colossae. So, if, if obedience is a fruit, cultivate the tree. Water it, fertilize it, protect it from bugs and disease and pests. And let that life of Christ grow up and bear fruit in your life. Jesus says it this way. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Expect it. We are followers of Christ. He's going someplace. We follow him. It it, it should be a normal part of the Christian life to expect God, by his spirit, to lead us to specific, specific acts of obedience. That is just kind of normal, everyday Christian experience. Now, what God might call you to do might be seemingly really little. It might be just a short kind word. Could be a meal to someone who needed one. Or just just an acknowledgement of their presence. People are dying for friends. Can you be a friend to someone? A word of encouragement. Uh, Jesus went to the temple treasury with his disciples and he saw 
uh, a widow, put in two, two lousy copper coins, two. People were parading in there, putting huge sums of money in. It was a kind of a show, really. But he says, this widow has put in more. The tiniest gift, Jesus said, was worth more than the big donation. So don't estimate the, the impact. Don't undervalue what Jesus might think about very small acts of obedience. Don't miss those little guys, because they count. They count. Well, uh, to conclude, let me pray for us here. I'll ask the, the worship team to come up here and to pray that we would cultivate the tree that bears fruit of obedience and that we would be ready to obey. I'll pray for us here. Jesus, uh, thank you for your word that uh, you give us life in the first place. You put us in a position to be your followers. God, uh, as we live day by day, uh, keep our hearts uh, tender and our ears open to how you might have us obey. And Father, I pray you bear fruit in our lives. Lord, that these specific things of a new life, a compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love would be the fruit of following you. God, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.